podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I'm joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Hi. 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 How are you, Dave? I'm all right. Busy as hell, but I'm all right. Sorry it's been a while since, well, it's been a while since I've done it. I know you two did one by yourselves. Do you have fun? Did you have fun without me? Was it good? It's not the same, I Dave. Think it was, yeah, it was like it was a bit like if you leave a five-year-old, if you if you stop looking after a five-year-old and let them do what they want, after a very short amount of time, they'll wish you were there. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifies me that I'm the adult in this. I can't remember what tangent we went down, but it wasn't good. It's a little like at the moment, I was saying to Paul before we started recording, my girlfriend's been away for about uh, for nearly a week now. A few more days left, and it's just me and my son, but I am officially in charge. I'm the only adult in the house. And it's, I mean, I do most of the cleaning at home anyway. But it's a fucking tip. <laughs> I'm on about six takeaways a day. <laughs> <laughs> Ramming chocolate clairs down my face. It's just <clears throat> so irresponsible. Um, but yeah, we need people like you, Dave, to keep us in line. Or otherwise, <laughs> or otherwise, it'll just it'll just end up like Extinction Rebellion. <laughs> Well, I'm here, and uh, I will sort you two out. Don't you worry about it. <coughs> Excuse me. If you're on talking about football, you know, that's what we're okay. here for. Okay, let's talk about football. So, since the last podcast, we had another two victories, a 5-1 against West Ham and a 2-1 against Brentford. Two away victories in a row in London. I remember in the days of Bobby Robson when we were playing in the Champions League. We went for like two years or something without winning in London. Uh, so, uh, it was much of the same, that our form was continuing phenomenally. But we've always found that in those rare periods where we're playing quite well, our podcasts are quite bad. So what we really needed <laughs> was a shit performance. <laughs> And a loss, and uh, that was served up for us on Saturday in the shape of what many are describing as the shittest performance of the year. Um, would you agree, Paul? I th- yeah, I think there was it was Villa's best performance of the year and our worst, and it combined to make we've not been involved in many more one-sided games. I mean, weirdly. They sort of did to us what we did to Man U a few games before, where you just thought they've got absolutely nothing. It was very uncharacteristic of us, but Villa are the second best form team in the league at the minute since Emery came in. It's not that surprising mm. that they're, they're good. I just didn't realise how good they were because it's you don't actively seek out Villa games. This is the thing. It was it was a couple of weeks ago, Dave, when you said famously 
that you couldn't see where the next loss was coming from. And to be fair, I don't think any of us had tracked Aston's results uh, as much as we perhaps should have, because uh, since Emery came in, they or, or is it since the World Cup? I think it's since em- Unai Emery came in, they are second in the table on form. I think it's World are. Cup. But um, the, what I would say about the way that Emery has Aston Villa playing is with this, like, um, almost six at the back, two attacking midfielders, two Ersatz forwards. And because of, because of the way that they play, if you're not on your game, they can pull you apart. You know, essentially they, they, they accept the pressure and then just hit Ollie Watkins with them um, with direct balls over the top. I mean, we saw one in the first like 30 seconds. The problem that we had is that not a single player in a black and white shirt had a, even an average game. They were all subpar. They were all poor. And I think that, um, I think what you, if you looked at their results, just on the face of it, the, the results looked good. But when you start looking at their performance metrics, they are outscoring their XG consistently. And that, well, not consistently for a while. And that's not sustainable. And they're like, they're conceding less than you'd expect given the chances that they're giving up. And again, that's not sustainable. They've been benefiting from profligacy and like weakness on the the other side's defence. I think if we were on our game, that result doesn't happen. Like if we have an average Newcastle performance under Eddie Howe, that result doesn't happen. But that performance was the worst performance I've seen from an Eddie Howe side. I mean, I've just checked and it is since Emery came in. Um, but that was not that long before the World Cup started. So it's not that much difference. But I mean, I think they're in a similar position now to we were... Uh, a year ago, when everyone on Newcastle fans were saying Eddie Howe should be uh, in the running for manager of the season, and everyone else was hadn't really noticed. Mm. No one else, everyone else was laughing at that. But I think what Emery's done this year is when you actually look at it, it's ridiculous. Uh, so so well done him. Mm-hmm. But we should talk about Newcastle. Uh, you both watched it. Who have, who gave the worst performance, Dave? Oh God, um, probably Trippier. I would say, if not him, then it's it's. Um, no, I could just list them all. I would say that of of all of them, I would say that Trippier had the worst game. We created really little, didn't we, Paul? Yeah, I think the problem is our defence, although we've got the best defence in the league still, we've conceded, we've had one clean sheet in the last 12 games. I think what was noticeable against Villa is how often our defenders were making mistakes. You look at earlier in the season... That wasn't happening because our defenders weren't having to do anything. Our defending's always started from the front and that press. Some games recently, understandably, because of all the fixtures we've had, the energy of that press has just disappeared. But Villa, I think, weirdly, that's the first time 
a team's been able to comfortably play through our press. But I don't think it's mm. so much... I don't think it's all about us being off. I think they tactically got it spot on. And their keeper, unlike most other keepers in the league, is able to play that sort of medium-length ball that can take out the first line of our press but isn't an aimless long ball that means we're going to win possession back. I don't think... I've not seen another team do that to us. I've seen plenty of teams try and play their way through our press, but Villa were the first ones where you thought, we've not really got a plan B against that. Because we're we're playing less games than anyone else in the top six, I think, at the moment. But because of the intensity of our play and perhaps the lack of depth in our squad, are we getting a bit tired? Yeah, I think I think certainly the certainly the fullbacks are looking tired. And once our fullbacks start looking tired, then it just becomes a lot more difficult for us to play the way that how likes us playing with Trippier like so far forward. I think one big problem was that Gordon isn't yet used to our press and pressing style, so he was a bit headless chicken. He was pressing when he didn't when he shouldn't be, and he wasn't pressing when he should be. Um, I can understand why he was hooked. Um, Murphy, he he was decent, but he, he. I think the problem was across the board, the press wasn't working, um, and it could be because they're tired. It could be an an element of of overconfidence and a little bit of arrogance because we haven't needed to be at our best since fuck like the Man U game at home. And even then, I don't think we, we needed to be brilliant. We just had to be a bit better. But we've beaten, you know, Aston Villa. Sorry, no, we haven't. West Ham and um, Brentford. Um, who, was the th- who was the third away trip? Because we had three away trips in a row, didn't we? It was West Ham, Brentford. Villa. Uh, and Oh, right. And then Villa. So, yeah, we just had a few away days I think yeah, it's getting. It, they are tired, and they're missing Alan St. Maximum, who is you know, at the very least, he's he's a very very creative player. We've and got Alan a lot of points in the last year without Alan Maximum, now, haven't we? It's not like we're reliant on him in the way that we were a couple of years ago. I think what was a big sure, miss, but- what felt like a very big miss that I wasn't expecting to was Sean Longstaff. You only realise how much energy he brings to the midfield when he's out. Trippier looked weaker because he didn't have that cover from Longstaff. I think Byrne, to an extent, looked weaker because Joel Linton had such a bad game. Normally, mm. those two are covering the fullbacks. And I think you realise how important he is to that midfield. It's no coincidence he's played so much when he's available. Is yeah. Matt Target... Is it is it time for him to start getting starts? Do you think? I, I don't. I don't think that he's. Um, yeah, I, I'd be quite happy with Target coming in to to the side, especially after such a heavy defeat and such a bad performance. I thought Burn really struggled, and I thought I think Burn struggled for the last few games. I mean, one thing, just a, a very very quick tangent. I think the first halves against Brentford and against West Ham, 
I don't think Newcastle played particularly well. I think we were quite fortunate against West Ham to go in 2-0 up. I don't think we were particularly good. And it, I think part of that is I don't think Dan Burns been playing very well. And I think Trippier's not as impactful as he has been. This was the first time we've played two bad halves of football for a long time, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, stack them all. I think Dave's right. There is, I think I feel a bit sorry for Matt Target because he he did a very good job last season. That run of form we had the second half of last season, Matt Target didn't look out of place there. Burns seems to be keeping his place for what he brings to the group, and because you can't really dance moves, dance moves. yeah, dance moves. But also, I can understand why you wouldn't want to change the best defense in the league. But I sort yeah. of look. The problem that's kind of created now is Botman's sort of last couple of games dropped off a cliff, and that's normally there's no one really behind pushing for his spot. Whereas Burn should be. This is where you would bring Burn in for Botman, and he would be fresh, and it would suddenly create that competition. But because Burn's been playing left back all season, like our back five are the ones mm. who the most minutes for us this season. So there's not much rotation you can do apart from bringing Lascelles. And bring in target. And I don't want that. I really don't like. No, I don't think although against Man City, play. he looked very good. But I do. We lost that, didn't we? Two Um Let's have a quick break, and then there may be more to talk about with regards to Aston Villa. But there certainly will be more to talk about with regards to your contributions on Twitter and the forthcoming game against Spurs, and perhaps some more overly verbose. Talk from me. <laughs> Here's hoping. Hello and welcome back to the Newcastle Matter. Good break, guys. Hilarious break, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes, we had some hilarious chat, which uh, we didn't record, so sorry. <laughs> um, I've got a couple of questions. I only put it, uh, my request in very late, but I've got a couple of questions on Twitter. Papa Fluff, who I don't remember ever uh, contributing before, so thank you. Hello to Papa Fluff. That's a good question. If you could clone one NUFC player to fill all 11 positions on the pitch, who would you pick? For me, it's Joe Linton. It's a great question. Mm. Mm. All 11 positions. It's hard to argue with Joel Linton because he has played probably f- at least <laughs> four or five of those positions already. To be, to be honest, they've answered the question, haven't they? Because so. What a dick. Who's this flirt? Right. He, he could. Ooh, he's doing, it's great. He's done a good question. Joel Linton would be good in goal. I yeah. can't think of Would a, he? Would, and I can't think of another outfield player. Who I'd want to pick. Yeah. In goal. In that sort of David James big guy <laughs> way. I think if you wanted the most entertaining game, St. Maximin would be a good shout to play in every <laughs> position. In all positions. It would just be like Holland 70. It would just be total football, but with no it passing. Be, it, would, <laughs> it, would, it would be like I used to, uh, one of my regular little challenges I would set myself on Pro Evo many years ago would be to pick 
like the best side on Provo, like uh, Brazil or whoever, and put it in easy mode, play a shit side, and try and, before the match was over, have every player on the team score. And what it would mean was knocking it back to each player and that player trying to dribble through a whole team. <laughs> oh. I think if you clone set maximum, that's what you'd get. 11 players trying to dribble through a hole too. Well, I think as well, because he always draws like two markers. So there'd be five St. Maximins free in space. At all times. Yeah. (laughs) But he wouldn't pass to himself. No, that's true. (laughs) No, no. Uh, okay, I think I don't think we can come up with a better answer than than Joe Linton. I think. I mean, uh, Andy Sheldon says, "Do you think we could do with missing out on the Champions League?" I think we did discuss this briefly, Paul and I, on a previous pod. We're way ahead of schedule to rebuild, and we don't have the squad depth yet to compete at that level. This is what Andy reckons. Uh, what do you reckon, Dave? I, if we were in the the driving seat for the Champions League now, I would say yeah, missing out on it this year is fine because yada yada they had the schedule there, and we've been up there consistently, and we've been hitting about two points a game since Eddie Howe um, really got his feet under the table. We are good enough to finish third or fourth. So I think that means that with the kind of investment we can make, we can certainly go into the Champions League, fatten out the squad a little bit, and then if we get knocked out early doors and end up in the the, the fine. If we get past that stage and then get knocked out, fine. The amount of money that we would be able to attract from commercial deals and TV by being in the Champions League, the 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 renown that we would receive from Champions League side. No, I don't think we we would benefit from not getting into that 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 division now. I also think that the early stage of the Champions League are the type of um, are the type of fixtures that you can play Harrison Ashby, who we signed from. Um, West Ham, we can play these younger players, these fringe players. Like you wouldn't care about Callum Wilson, for example, starting against Bodo Glimpt or whoever. So no, I think I, I can't see a, a good argument for not um, for avoiding the Champions League. Paul, we've discussed this before. Do you want to make one? Have you got a good argument for not? No, I think my only argument for not is the same as before. Is I, I'm enjoying the journey of us getting better. But I think it would feel like a big disappointment if we missed out on fourth now. Whereas at the start of the Mm. season, you would have thought, oh, it'd be great to get sort of seventh, do the conference league, then the season after that, get Europa, and then build the squad to get to the Champions League. But if you've got a squad good enough to finish in the top four, you've got a squad good enough to navigate the Champions League. I mean, we've been in the Champions League. Think of some of the players that played for us in the Champions League under Bobby Robson. Yeah. I think, I, I, I think I did say this on the last pod, pod, but I think it's, it would be easiest for us to qualify for the Champions League this season than next season because Liverpool have been 
so shit. Chelsea, it's hard to envision them getting that shit show into Champions League challenging shape next season, but who knows? But a, a lot of teams have been under par this season, and that's part of the story that's allowed us to get where we are. Um, and that might not be the case next season. So, but then next season, in. Arsenal could drop out of the top four very easily. Spurs could, could. sink even you further. Could. We always assume everyone's going to be on it before each season. Like before the start of this season, you wouldn't have said Liverpool and Chelsea would be nowhere near the top four. Yeah, yeah, but I think, I think things, point... are, everything, things are a little bit more unpredictable than they were a few years ago, aren't they? There's a few clubs that are on sort of shaky ground. I think it's it's a symptom of the amount of money in the game at the moment. It's just... And you also look at some of the sides, like some of the sides that you wouldn't expect to do well given their quote-unquote size and their their revenue and all the rest of it. Teams like Brighton, Brentford, and to a, in a different way, Aston Villa. These these three sides are bloodying the noses of the top sides. They're taking more points off those sides. And they're also comfortably defeating the sides at the bottom end of the table. I mean, you look at the bottom end of the table now and you've got, what, like eight, seven, eight sides still in the relegation zone. And they include West Ham, Everton, Leicester, Southampton, who've been a Premier, Premier League club for a while. Like, this is a real flux season. And like you're saying, Fergus, we're in the driver's seat for the for the Champions League now. It would be disappointing to miss out now because next season, who the fuck knows? Brighton could be pushing for a Champions League spot. You don't know. Um, Aston Villa, you don't know. So the no, latest, get it, get it now. The the latest uh, I saw this week from I didn't read the article because I don't I'm not a subscriber to the Telegraph, but uh, Luke Edwards I noticed this week who tends to have insider knowledge, or at least claims to. Uh, the latest seems to be that this summer we're going to really go for it in the transfer market. We've sort of changed our mind. Presumably this is assuming we qualify for the Champions League. Apparently, according to him, from what I can pick up from what I read in the comments, we were in the summer planning on only spending 20 million plus pay player sales. Mm. But now we're looking at sort of four big name signings. Mm. We're looking at really going for it, really stepping up the expenditure. But that, that kind of makes sense because if we're in the Champions League, because the the fun 8-8 sponsorships gone like this, I'm pretty sure, um, and that frees up an opportunity for somebody to sponsor us. And it could be Riyadh Air or whatever. But the fact is they they would have to be paying like Champions League prices for us if we if we finish in the Champions League, which means that our FFP suddenly massively balloons and we can sign commercial partnerships with, with other companies who are in the um who are you know in that, that strata, that higher echelon and yeah if we go off and sell Almiron for 20 million or or 
Alan St. Maximum for 30 million or something like that. It just adds and adds and adds and adds and adds. So we could comfortably afford to go off and sign James Madison or like Declan Rice or, or any of these players. And a lot of those players, you would have thought if we're in the Champions League, it'll be an easier sell. I, we're not going to sign Jude Bellingham, but Jude Bellingham is not going to go to Liverpool now. No. Because it's not going to be Champions League football for him. Yeah. So, I mean... and Sorry, I was just going to say, and you look at the other sides like Chelsea... Chelsea can't make big signings because they've been doing that and they must be at their absolute limit with FFP. Who knows with Chelsea? They might just... They could do anything. I saw... I I, I saw today that they've just... They've just signed a deal for a um, 15-year-old for 20 million. Yeah, I saw that. It's... I think they're going to sign Ronaldo next. It feels like the logical conclusion. <laughs> they're going to bring him back. Apparently, Todd, Todd Bowley signed Frank Lampard because uh, James Corden told him to. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I want it to go on and on. I've, I have never had much hatred for any football clubs. Most football clubs I've gone through a, a phase where I've liked. I think the only football club I have persistently disliked for whatever reason, since like the early 90s, is Chelsea. I've, I've never liked Chelsea, so it is enjoyable to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Long may it continue. Uh, so our next game is against Spurs. Hmm. On Sunday, huge game in the Champions League battle. Did you know? Had this has this uh, caught your interest? You know, there's going to be a government alarm going off on everyone's phones. Yeah, at three o'clock. Has it caught? Yes, has it caught your attention that that is going to go on during the football match against Spurs? <laughs> It, it's it's scheduled to go off at 3pm, so I think it'll probably still be half-time. But that's that's going to be fun. I mean, you can never get reception at St James' Park anyway, but I, th- I don't even know if you need reception to get it. I do, what's that? I've got 52,000 phones. I've been, because they have them in the States, hmm. and I've been in a bar when like 20 of them have gone off. And it was loud and alarming. <laughs> 52,000. Loud and alarming. Well, even if it goes off for the pundits in the studio, yeah. that's where it'll be at the time. Fucking hell. It's going to be fun. I mean, what? it's just a test, so they could, in theory, put anything in it. I mean, it could just be a... Advice on substitutions. <laughs> yeah, could just be okay. a Scouse accent. That would be. Could be. Yeah. So, what are your uh, predictions for uh, the Spurs game, Paul? I think the first thing is that Spurs—they're not Chelsea, but they're a mess. Mm. And they like their last. 
because we really gave them quite a lot to play for with our defeat at Villa. And you thought Spurs at home against Bournemouth, that's guaranteed three points. They contrived to lose that. And they just, they seem completely rudderless. I think. I do not. Sorry, go on. I think at St. James's as well, we're going to be into them from the first minute, like we were at their ground. And we, mm. we fairly easily beat them in that game. I don't think it'll be a. I can't see us losing this. If we do, then I think it'll be a sign that the Villa result was more about the pressure of the Champions League race than anything else. Mm. I do not understand what's going on at Spurs. It's like some kind of optical illusion. <laughs> they're fifth. They've but I don't I can't remember them winning a game this season. They've won six. <laughs> I don't understand. As far as I'm concerned. Like Liverpool are eighth and Chelsea are eleventh. But I feel like Spurs have been shitter than both of them. I don't <laughs> I don't think understand, the, um, Dave, what's going on. The thing with Spurs is that even some of their wins have have seemed like a, a loss. Like so the game against Bournemouth came hot on the heels against a, a victory over Brighton. A victory they did not, under any circumstances, deserve. They got the rub of the green with the VAR on a on two occasions. Brighton should have had a penalty. It was and Spurs. I think they, I think their goal came. One of their goals came from a penalty that shouldn't have been. So it's like they've been a bit lucky. But their problem is that Conte had them playing quite a pragmatic, sensible, boring style, very similar to the way that we played under Benitez. And they were just lumping balls up to their world-class striker, Harry Kane, and he's good enough to drag them across the line in a lot of games. Now that like that pragmatism is kind of coming unstuck. I mean, they're shipping goals. They ship three against the worst team in the Premier League, Southampton. They ship three against Bournemouth, who aren't a particularly good side. They're, they are, they're passive, they're disjointed, they're, they're a mess, but they still have Harry Kane and Sun, Sun Hyung Min. And so they're a danger. We can't take them lightly. So I think getting beaten by Villa is actually quite, a, it was the perfect time to lose that game that badly because Eddie and Tyndall will have been into them the players will be into them each other. The fans are going to be up for it because it's the first home game in a while. I think this is going to be a rip-roaring atmosphere and I think we'll beat them 2-0. I hope so. Uh, one thing I have noticed, despite the results, is that Son, uh, toward the end of a terrible season for him, seems to have found some form. So that's something to consider. It is a huge mm. game, really, isn't it? And in, in terms of, I you'd have to say that we're we're strong favourites. I'm, I'm going to say it: we're strong favourites to qualify for the Champions League now, despite Villa's result, the, the result against Villa. However, if it goes wrong here, you start to worry. Dave, you put your hand up. What did you did you want to say? I just wanted to back up. What you're saying that Spurs, their run in is a lot harder than ours. So they've got us at St. James's, then Manchester United, who seem like they're finding form. Then they're at Anfield. 
Um, in a, you know, so those three games in a row, by that point, we could be, you know, not mathematically clear of them, but clear of them. And then they've still got Aston Villa and Brentford to play. Um, and they're both playing quite well. You know, forget about Crystal Palace and Leeds, you know, because even, even the worst Spurs team should be able to beat them. Those, those, you know, five games out of their remaining eight are really fucking tough. So I think it's in our hands. It is. It's definitely in our hands. But it is in terms of, I mean, so a lot of people qualifying for the Champions League is almost the same as winning a trophy. Hmm. And we do have, in terms of competing for those sort of things, quite an inexperienced squad. And I don't know if you remember last season what happened at Arsenal. They were firm favourites to qualify for the Champions League, weren't they? And then they really sort of like fell apart, perhaps in the same manner they're doing this season. Yeah, that might <laughs> just be an Arsenal be. thing. I seem to remember that happening yeah, in sure. most seasons. But they did sort of, yeah, start. There's nothing to say that we can't start dropping points against shit sides as well. No, no, I no. think what's encouraging, I, I... though, is that since we started looking like a serious threat for the Champions League, like our blip around the cup final vanished. Like We won three of the last four, so it's not like... It feels like it would have started then, but the pressure is going to ramp up, so you never know. Hopefully Villa is just a, a bit of an anomaly. But yeah, huge game against Spurs. Then... Everton, who are shit but are fighting for a lot. Then Southampton, who are shit but will be fighting for a lot. Then Arsenal, who will be fighting for a lot. Leeds, Leicester, Chelsea, Brighton. We're not, we're not, I mean, by the end, towards the end, they might not have anything to fight for. But at the moment, every one of those teams has a lot on the line. So whether they're good or bad, people are going to, might not be. F- playing many people in sandals. No, but if you had to choose who to play, some of those teams you just listed off would be in your choices. Yeah. Sure. We've yeah, got five of our last eight games are at home as well. Everything, I, I feel like I said this every year, everything goes quite mental towards the end of the season. Hmm. Teams who've been shit all year suddenly start winning games. Yeah. And vice versa. But, you know, We'll see. But I, I think what what benefits us this year is that the Aston Villa game aside, we've not had two bad halves of football. And I think us in having a good half of football against any team in the division will win that half of football. And I think that's usually going to be enough to get us over the line. And these next like these next eight games, I fancy us to to pick up roughly two points a game. And I think those 16 points will get us across the line into the Champions League. Here's hoping. Okay. I didn't make a prediction, but I will. Uh, I think we'll win 2-1. Okay. Uh, Thank you very much, Dave Watson. Thanks, Fergus. Thank you, Paul Dillon. Thank you. And thank you to you, the Newcastle NASA listener. Bye. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.com.
www.sportsocial.co.uk Sports Social Podcast Network.